Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Moms That Say Fuck, hosted by yours truly, Alana Kapitz and Dr. Dina Kulik. I'm Alana, the CEO and founder of Moms Toronto. We're on a mission to bring moms together and give them a great day, revolutionizing maternity leave. And I'm Dr. Dina Kulik. I'm a pediatrician and pediatric emergency medicine doctor. I provide no-nonsense child health advice, dispelling myths, and empowering parents to parent confidently and raise your healthiest kids. Together, we have six kids under eight. We are eager to chat with other moms, entrepreneurs, and interesting people about everything from sex to alcohol, sleep woes, and body shaming. We aren't afraid to talk about taboo topics or share our many opinions. We say it like it is and want to get to the heart of the issues facing moms and caregivers everywhere. Come join us. Hello, hello, <laughs> hello, mamas and papas. Welcome to Moms That Say Fuck. And tonight we're super excited to have Emily Edwards. As the founder of the Good Birth Company, Emily Edwards helps grow grown ass humans have good births. She's a registered nurse currently on maternity leave with her third baby and finally after five years is taking her side hustle <coughs> hobby from a dream to a full-time endeavor. The cough was actually in the brief. Uh, her professional background is in care planning, policy development and review, as well as hands-on experiences in Tanzania, catching babies in their labor and delivery ward, um, which places her in an incredibly unique position among others in the birth education space. Welcome, Emily. Thank Welcome. you for having you me. slept all the way from Belleville. I sure did. At 8.20 at night, we're starting. I feel so bad. This is so rebellious. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> She's like, I'm not with my kids. I'm out late. This yes. is so exciting. Yeah. Belleville, are you from Belleville? Born and raised. Come on. Yep. I'm from the great uh, Bay of Quinty. Wow. Yep. And uh, I love that mall, the Bay of Quinty Mall. We have uh, Tesla chargers now. Really? Yep. We're getting a Popeyes. And <laughs> you know, yeah. you're fancy when you have Tesla chargers. Tesla, Tesla chargers all over thing. like yeah. that area yeah. now, like because people come to the county now. And exactly. And we're kind of halfway between yeah. Montreal and Toronto. So people need to power up. Yeah, exactly. I know Belva well. So I, mean, I grew up in Ottawa. So every okay. time I was driving back and forth and university and whatever. Belleville was en route, but I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever actually been in Belleville. Well, you're not missing yeah. a whole lot. Yes. I apparently Tesla chargers. Exactly, so it's, yeah. it's pretty. Yeah. It's it's gorgeous, it's and the really county the is really nice. like oh my God, the exploding now, which is amazing. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's definitely hasn't changed much since I was growing up there. So awesome. Yeah. And tell us about your company. What is the Good Birth Company? The Good Birth Company, like I said, has been a five-year project of um, kind of evolving passion of mine to educate people um, about birth. Because as a a young mom, I was 21 when I had uh, our oldest son, and I was a nursing student at the time, and I felt like I really knew what to expect. And I was really like deep, deep within the natural birth movement. And then my planned birth turned into a Mm C-section. And I thought, holy shit, I had this all planned Mm -hmm. and I knew everything. How did this happen? And that birth I didn't realize was extremely traumatic because on the surface, everything looked good. You know, it wasn't a crazy emergency that, you know, led to the C-section. It wasn't, everything looked good, but I was bitter and angry and very hurt after that birth for a long time. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know why. Yeah. And then as my... um, What's the why? The why? The why was that I wasn't listened to. I was patronized and I was made to feel that... Small? Exactly. So you think you didn't need a C-section? I think I did, but it was the way that it was packaged. It was the, 
well, here you go. You've done a good job. You've labored long enough. This baby's not coming. And it was a long labor. He Early labor started intensely on Monday and he was born at three o'clock on Thursday. Mm -hmm. So it was a long, and there was meconium. He -hmm. ended up having a short cord, Mm -hmm. but it was my first introduction really into the fact that there's more to it than meets the eye. And it was a really, um, I'm trying to think of really how to say this. It, I felt the failure of having a C-section at that point because I was so ingrained deeply in natural is best, no epidural. But of course, like I went from literally, you know, ready to make chili at home, having a baby. My husband had his, you know, he was planning on playing video games while I labored and then it all changed. Um, When I went to Saskatchewan, my husband and I lived there for three years. I met a really powerful group of women who were making crazy changes in the birthing culture there. So I lived in Saskatoon. Um, You guys may have heard of uh, all of the drama that was in the news probably in the last 18 months about uh, Royal University Hospital there. Um, Can you brief our our listeners? Yeah, um, they were um, found to have coerced women into sterilization. Um, indigenous women at RUH the years that I lived there actually. So, you know, I knew, I didn't know about that at the time, but that was the birth culture I was stepping into when I was having my second son in 2015. So I was a little bit older. I'd gone through, you know, the first baby, we suffered through fourth year nursing together, like nursing school as well as nursing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, all of the challenges and excuse me, I knew that I wanted a different birth the next. I wanted the birth I wanted the first time, but I mm-hmm. wanted, didn't know how to have it. And these women that I met, they had started to really push and change um, the culture there in the form of identifying themselves as consumers. They are healthcare consumers, maternal healthcare consumers. And that really shifted my focus because- Explain that a bit. Most of us in Canada mm-hmm. view our healthcare as free. Therefore, we are privileged to oh, access care. Right, but okay. healthcare is not free. Doctor Dino would know that we we pay for it mm-hmm. through our universal healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Meaning, our money that is taken from us to go to taxes is paying for our healthcare system. Interesting. And so many people think that, hey, I'm so lucky to have a doctor. Or if in some of the areas that I've had babies in, midwives were scarce, and so if you were lucky enough to get a midwife, it was thank God I have a midwife. And I'm not going to bitch and I'm not going to complain because now I have care. When in reality, you're in the driver's seat. And those were the women, that was the outlook of these women that, no, you're going to answer my questions. You are going to listen to what I have to say. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were some who had a very extreme aversion to care after that. And then there were some who were really just knocking down doors. Like the one woman, she had, you know, a personal cell number for the floor manager and would say, hey, I heard this happen in a birth on the floor today. What the hell? And that is making people accountable. And as a nurse, um, you know, through school, we're taught patient advocacy. We're taught patient is the one driving the care everywhere except for maternal health. Interesting. And really, who should be making those choices? It's us as the women, as the people carrying, and I say women, I'm doing my very best to be inclusive to anyone who identifies as a birther. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to put it out there right now for your listeners that if I say woman, I mean, whoever you are, if you're carrying a baby, I'm talking about you. 
Um, so our birth there was very different. I had a midwife again, mm-hmm. um, and they had just changed uh, recently before my second son was born that um, midwives had their full scope within hospital. So I'm not sure what the Toronto birth culture is right now, but I'm assuming your midwives in this area have full scope of practice in terms of managing birth from epidurals, inductions, um, VBACs, things like that, prob- mm. like shared care model, or is it a full... No, you know? no. I mean... It stops at one point. Yeah. So I mean, Mid- certainly, I don't think they do epidurals even. They midwives? can't administer anything. No, yeah. no, but they can manage care after yes, it's been given. Absolutely. Yes, okay. Okay. only in hospital though. Okay, whereas... Yeah. Um, there's a lot of places that that's not a reality. Mm-hmm. So you go in as, for example, as a VBAC mom, um, most recent birth was transfer an immediate transfer of care. For even though I've had an, a VBAC before, which is a vaginal birth after cesarean, mm-hmm. totally normal, totally fine. Mm-hmm. But immediately when you go into hospital, if you have that label, yeah, um, you automatically switch to OB care. I'm pretty sure that is how it is in Toronto. Really? Yes. They don't have full scope as it for might, my, as it maybe should be. So, so I'm hearing your story, yep. and uh, I don't know. I I don't know how to respond really because I do think there's a culture in which C sections. We've spoken we've spoken about this I think before. Mm-hmm. In some communities, C sections are pushed more mm-hmm. heavily than they would be medically indicated. Yeah. You know, like some there's some areas where like 50 percent of deliveries are, are C sections. In the states, even more so than Canada. Absolutely. In states, they're quite high. And there, the culture in some places is such that C-sections are like recommended in a way and people can schedule them and they know they're going to go on on this date. And for no reason, like the baby's not breech or upside down, in which case, you know, vaginal delivery can be more complicated Mm -hmm. or any other complicating factor, but rather... You know, a lot of people like the idea of they're going in on this day and they're going to have the surgery and they're going to leave on this day and and the convenience piece, which is... um, an interesting choice because you're having a major intra-abdominal surgery that's going to require a long recovery period. But anyway, to each their own. But typically, C-sections are done because of risk factors like being a breach or having twins or having, you know, know, a placenta that's not lying in the right place or other kind of medical indications. And then there's the other cohort, which is the emergency C-sections or the suggested C-sections when labor is not progressing as we expect it to, or mom is not dilating, the cervix isn't dilating as much as it should, or baby's heart rates are not are not um, changing the way we want, so like they're going down too much or they're changing too much. And and when there's meconium, like in your yeah. case, and I don't, obviously I don't know all your story, but when baby has meconium, that means that baby has pooed in utero. Yeah. And baby poos in utero, typically when baby is distressed. So if baby's not happy about what's happening in labor, like having a two and a half day labor, yeah. we're like, this isn't happening. You may eventually deliver vaginally, but in the meantime, baby's stressed about this. And that poses a lot of risks to babies, right? I mean, Absolutely. we see increased risks of cerebral palsy mm-hmm. and a slew of other neurocognitive issues. So, you know, having labored for two and a half days, baby having meconium, and that's all I know as a physician now, I'm thinking, yeah, of course you should have had C-section. Get that baby out and keep that baby healthy, and hopefully the baby's great and healthy now. The way that's expressed to you, though, of course, I mean, some physicians are really great communicators and some not, like in every specialty, and possibly 
you know, the issue wasn't that you didn't need a C-section or that wasn't medically indicated, but rather how it was expressed to you. Absolutely. So, so there's for sure that. I mean, I think as physicians, we need to be good communicators and educators and explain, you know, the risks and benefits of all of that. Because yep. C-section is not benign. And if you have in your head, this is going to be my birth experience, like Alain and I have spoken about this a lot. Like what, what, what are our plans for a birth? What is our plan for breastfeeding? What is our plan for sleep training? All of these things. I think a lot of women in particular have this idea of what that is going to look like. And I, I tell parents all the time, like, don't expect anything. Don't expect it to go any which way. Don't expect breastfeeding to be easy. Don't expect to have a vaginal delivery. Don't expect to have no epidural. All that is bullshit. You know, you might have your plan, but most obstetricians are like, fuck the plan. You that, don't know yeah. what's going to help in the moment, right? And not to say, like, your plan isn't important, yeah. but don't get stuck on it because it's going to hurt that much worse if things don't go as planned and you do not know what it's going to be like to deliver a baby. You don't know how that's going to go. It's a very traumatic thing for your body. So coming back, coming back to what I was saying is, you know, of course, forced sterilization is terrible. I mean, Absolutely. and that, but that's on like one end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. But on the other end of the spectrum, I, I feel hesitant about saying to women or people that are birthing, you know, have your plan and, you know, fuck the system and they're getting paid and we're paying you because A, you want to have a good relationship with the person Absolutely. delivering your baby. If you're going to be like, fuck you, I'm paying you, they're going to be like, fuck you, I'm going to do what the fuck I want and I'm not going to give you a care and I'm not going to communicate well because we're all people, right? Absolutely. If you're disrespecting me as a clinician, I'm going to try to respect you, but I, it's not going to be the same as if you're, you know, my buddy. So I think have, try to have a, a, a conversation In, about things. Um to kind of build off of that is that's kind of that middle point, right? For me was that extreme one end. And I was like, "Ah!" middle was a phenomenal hospital based non-interventive VBAC that involved three hours of waiting at 10 centimeters and three hours of pushing and a phenomenal care provider who knew what I was asking and what had transpired then between 2015 and now is that I have really understood or started to understand that it is not how that baby comes out that matters. It's how you feel at the end of it. Mm -hmm. That that baby can come any which way, but at the end of it, if you feel listened to, if you feel heard, if you feel respected in your choices, not as a vessel, but as your choices of what is best. And obviously, how many moms go in to this thinking it's only about me? Pretty much none, none of us. We go in wanting the best outcome for a baby. Hmm. But I think it's the piece of learning that sometimes what is offered to us, and I use offered lightly because often it's, oh, we're starting your IV now. Not, we normally start IVs. This is your choice. Mm -hmm. Would you like one? This is the benefit. You don't have to. And I think the big thing is knowing that you don't have to say yes. That Because a genuine informed choice is knowing that there's a a refusal as an option. And I think it's interesting. I think I went through midway free with all Mm -hmm. of my kids, all two of them. (laughs) Um, All two of them. (laughs) Oh, God, I can't. I'm going to Panama. Um, So (laughs) I I have two children and both of them I had with a midwife. And I think what I'm hearing, Emily, what you're saying and what I've experienced, Dina, and one of the reasons I leaned so heavily into midwifery, and I would say in my community of close friends, I was a very unique case of somebody who picked midwifery because I saw in my experience from my friends who came before me that birth was generally traumatic. Like they usually left bruised emotionally and physically fucked 
And the truth was because there was such a gaping hole of vulnerability where you succumb to the to the, to the doctor. You do. Yeah, absolutely. You're an MD. I'm I'm a I'm a non-medically trained pedestrian, right? Yeah. For lack of a better word. And I'm turning to you, doctor, to make good decisions for me. And sometimes if you leave and you're like, holy fuck, I just felt like I went through a fucking C-section factory, like some hospitals that are here in Toronto. Yeah. Um, that can be totally traumatic for people. Yes. And I think ha- being a young mom, first of all, and also being as knowledgeable as you were at a very young mom. I had already been in Tanzania when I delivered my first, like I delivered right. 71 babies without right. like anything. And I'm thinking like, this is, yeah, it's crazy. So you had a plan, you had a vision, you had witnessed it firsthand and to actually be in labor delivery in a country like that. I mean, and then where, where, by the way, plenty of women die in, oh, in, right, in labor and they delivery average in Tanzania, thirty and, births and a day, the, and right. in the and in the developing world, right? Yeah, and that's why C sections are sometimes needed, right? right of course, Again, yeah. not fifty percent of the time, but that's exactly why C sections exist because some shitty things happen, and sometimes right, women bleed a lot, and sometimes babies get stuck, and sometimes it's necessary to take them out that way. I mean, it, look, I mean, I had four vaginal non-assisted births with no epidural so I'm all about with with the doctor in a hospital but Mm -hmm. that was more Andrew's choice I would say um but so I'm I'm all about like whatever plan people have I actually ironically I had a plan to have an epidural with my first I was like I don't want to feel this why I want to feel this and then I delivered so quickly that I didn't have time for it and then I was like well cool I've done it without an epidural I could do it without an epidural again so I'm all about kind of making making choices I would say but I'm very hesitant having seen labors go wrong and bad things happen and I have personally been part of deliveries before i mean i'm a pediatrician i don't go into labors often now but during training we do and and actually lots of pediatricians are involved in complicated deliveries now to save the baby and help the baby but i've seen moms refuse things that they should accept Mm -hmm. because they're fearful and again the communication is key but sometimes in that moment there isn't time to do a whole conversation about why it's really important to take the baby out now why it's important to grab those forceps why it's important to grab the vacuum all these things because your baby's at risk now mm-hmm. and you know especially like if you're a pedestrian as you say mm-hmm. what the hell do you know about vacuum and why vacuum is important right. but if i say to someone who's delivering and there's trouble, I need to grab a vacuum and vacuum? suck your baby's head out. That's what it is? That's literally what it is. Why would somebody need a vacuum? If the baby's not coming out well, it mm-hmm. just gives extra kind of force to get them out. And why wouldn't somebody want a vacuum? Because you're putting a vacuum on your head. And that's uh, freaky to people. Like uh, you're, you're pushing the baby damage, out. damage. Yeah. Um, things like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's very rarely damage, um, at least not in Toronto. Yeah. Where it's, uh, yeah. And forceps are another thing where you're literally grabbing this like claw thing and like pulling your baby's head out. Oh a lot of people are like, I don't want any instruments. I don't want you to touch me. But like, fuck, we got to get the baby out or the baby can like not get oxygen. Right. So, and you don't know what that means. You know, like a typical person doesn't know what it means if like your baby's stuck in you for an extra 30 seconds or five minutes. That can be the risk of cerebral palsy, like really dramatic brain da- damage. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, when there's time for it, it sounds like yours was not an emergency. Amazing. Have a conversation, you know, explain it. But a lot of times when C-sections are done and other decisions like this, there isn't time to like have a conversation. That brings up two really like amazing points that I want to, one, I'll go with like the nicest one. Cause I'm going to bring up something that's really uncomfortable for a lot of people on, sure. especially healthcare providers. So yeah. I want to preface this with 100% like respect, honesty, but I'm just, I, I like playing the other side of the card because yeah. I feel it's something that a lot of 
people don't know. And I'm not saying that because you know it means you have to go that route by Mm. any means, but it's a good piece of knowledge. Mm. But first and foremost, my goal with the Good Birth Company is to educate women, period. So they know what a vacuum is long before they get into delivery Mm. and understand what the circumstances may be around that. What are the risks? Why would you want it? Why may you like, why might you not want it? The, my whole, um, I offer a online um, birth education course that goes through everything from uh, late pregnancy, like just before, you know, all the things where, yeah. how do I get this baby to come out and the myths around what gets labor started to early labor, active labor, all of the p- parts of um, you know possible choice points throughout those points, meaning eating and drinking, induction, monitoring, cervical checks, all of those things that you as a um, you know as the patient or the client, th- your options, you need to know about those before someone says to you, "Hey, now it's time for your IV." And yeah. that's not the time to learn about. But how many people know more about their phone or their car than they do about birthing their baby? Right, and I. My parents actually. What they do know is that it's the size of a watermelon. That's the yeah. only thing they mm-hmm. know. Or like terrifying, either again, terrifying, terrifying outlier yeah. stories or horrifically damaging outlier stories of these magical unicorn births. And right. m- majority of people exist in the gray area, right. somewhere in between. My best birth was my my third, which was actually medicalized, very, very medicalized because he also pooped, except this time it wasn't faint. It literally was like diarrhea coming mm-hmm. out of my vagina. Mm-hmm. It was a hilarious story, actually. It happened in a Red Lobster parking lot and someone was beside our car and saw this stuff oh coming out of me. It was awful. Um, but the education piece before, I want people to be excited about taking childbirth education. Yeah. I want people to look at the day they're going to give birth like their wedding day. It yeah. is bigger than your wedding day, mm-hmm. the day you have a baby. And the day you have a baby includes the day you lose a pregnancy. It includes the day you have an abortion. And it includes the day you deliver a stillborn child. Those are all birth. Right. Anytime a fetus leaves your body, mm-hmm. you are becoming unpregnant. And that's a huge fucking day in your life. And I walked myself into the topic of abortion. And I personally am a huge, huge advocate Mm -hmm. because I personally cannot see being a birth advocate without being an abortion advocate Mm -hmm. because that is the cornerstone of what women have to protect our choice Mm -hmm. in that environment. And this is the part where it gets like, most healthcare providers get the heebie-jeebies. And the thing is, we have something called the Morgenthaler decision of 1988 that protects women to make whatever choice they want in birth. Mm -hmm. Again, most of us are not wanting to make a choice that would hurt our child Mm -hmm. or our fetus, however you want to look at them. However, legally, you are able to make any choice you want without a... the. In Canada, our fetal rights do not extend, are not um, retroactive, sorry. Mm-hmm. So as a pregnant person in birth, you are still the primary patient. And until the baby is out of you, mm-hmm. that is when they become a legal person. What is that, what is that, what is that bylaw? What is it's that? called the Morgenthaler decision of what 1988. Um, are you familiar with Dr. Morgenthaler no. at all? You probably, you yeah, you can yeah. explain though. Go ahead. Um, yeah. Dr. Morgan Toller was a physician um, who opened up the majority of abortion clinics or named after him. He designed a technique um, 
And the decision in 1988 was to uphold women's rights to choose. Mm -hmm. And that means start to finish. That mm -hmm. is not 12 weeks. That's not eight weeks. That's not 16 weeks. Yeah. And it's a, it's an uncomfortable conversation. Yeah, it is. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable because it's a topic in our life yeah. right now that is very heated. And I find myself talking to people in the States, right? Especially and, in America. Oh, yeah. But even oh, our elections coming That's and true. this is a, it's a topic. It's a topic. Mm. And it's something that we need to know about. Uh -huh. Because even as a nurse, I went to school for four years with an undergrad degree. I talked all sorts of things about patient rights and consent and this and that. And when it came to maternal health care, no one once told me about that. Mm -hmm. And that is a fundamental piece of how you, how you provide care to a woman. Mm -hmm. Because if you see her as a vessel, mm -hmm. there is no way you can trust her to make good choices for herself because mm -hmm. you're trusting her to make choices for a baby. And it, it just would always make my skin crawl when I would talk to people, students especially, mm -hmm. um, who are like, well, what do you, you know, where do you want to work? Mm -hmm. Well, I want to work in labor and delivery because I love babies. Mm -hmm. Like you don't fucking work in labor and delivery because you like babies. You work in it because you love women mm -hmm. and you love what pregnancy and birth is. Right. And those things are not just those medicated or unmedicated vaginal births that are beautiful. It doesn't matter how your baby comes Yeah. as a care provider you need to be looking at mom. And I remember vividly sitting in my second year mat and child class being taught about something called the anticlimax of birth. That's a thing that was taught in my curriculum that we are taught that a woman is going to feel disappointed after she has a baby because of the emotions. And then all of a sudden it's okay, it's all over. How in the hell is that an acceptable thing? to think that's going to happen. This is literally the most joyous, powerful day of her life. And you're going to say, now you're going to have an anticlimactic moment. Mm -hmm. But many women do feel that way though. They do. But why do you think they do? Uh, hmm. Well, I mean, hormonally. But in the moment, like your baby pops out. Yeah. What happens after that? Some women feel amazing joy. I think most do a lot of women feel kind of like almost I would say like emptiness. Like there's, you know, it's like running a marathon, right? Yeah. And the exhaustion and the, you, you, your body hurts and you're like just tired. And, um, it, it's, I think a lot of women do describe that they're, that afterwards they felt less joy than they thought they would, if that makes sense. I totally, and I think, totally to be honest, that. I think a lot of people, you're talking about weddings before too, yeah. but there also seems to be like an anti-climax to a wedding too. Yeah, you know, at the mm -hmm. end of the night where you think you're going to go home and you're like, fuck your husband. It's going to be like, <laughs> you know, this thing. And a lot of people are just like, fuck off. I just want to go to bed. You know, this like I've had too much wine. To touch yeah. yeah, I've had too much wine. Like I just want to get in my dress. I've been sucked yeah. in here with my spanks for too many hours, yeah. you know? So um, I think when you're, when you have these huge expectations and it's like yeah. nine months of waiting and, I think a lot of people feel like, uh, you know, like even my own births, like I can think through, like I had tremendous joy after having my kids, but the only one that I really remember, like just sitting there and holding my baby and just being like, just so amazingly content was my third and it was my easiest delivery. And I went home a few hours later and it was just magic and perfect. And I was like, this is how it should be. And I thought I was just an expert and that's why it would be him that way. 
my second, my fourth got admitted to the NICU. Not perfect. I felt terrible. But even my first one, which also was a relatively easy delivery, I remember sitting there and being like, oh, so that's what this was. And it wasn't, and it was joyful, but it also took me a bit of time to connect with that baby, which is also incredibly common. And I want women to recognize, and, and dads too, that it can not a lot a lot of people don't instantly bond with their babies Mm -hmm. and so if you don't feel this instant like oh this is what my life is this is what like everything is about this Mm -hmm. is my family if you don't feel that instant connection you are incredibly normal so it took me nine months with my oldest and i think part of it was the um Totally like Versed. I got yeah. Versed during my C section and I didn't really remember Versed, which is an anti emetic, so um, anti nausea medication. And it causes, it can cause amnesia. And I literally have no memory of the probably three hours before my C section, other than someone telling me I'm having one, to I don't remember his first day. Like I don't remember seeing him for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I remember those not probably nine or 10 months of feeling like a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. I said, other than breastfeeding, which I physically had to hold him and feed him because he Mm -hmm. didn't take a bottle, I wouldn't have touched him. I was like, eh, you're here. Yeah, and that might have been the Versed, but I also think that possibly your negative birth story, also, I think you're also relating a lot of things your negative emotions, both things, et cetera, to that. But maybe it was that you were exhausted because you had three hours of labor, you know? Oh, no, the three, or, four days. Yeah, four days. <laughs> four but, I'm sorry, that's what I meant. Sorry, sorry, three days. Yeah. That's what I meant, sorry. Or you had a major surgery, et cetera, yeah. right? Like, I don't remember looking at my baby for the first time. I don't remember that at all. And I had no medicine during my labors at all, right? Um, and it was it was a healthy, easy vaginal birth, right? So I don't know. I think, you know, I guess, hormones are crazy. You're exhausted. It's like, someone just gave you a baby. Like, what the yeah. fuck just happened? You know, I was pregnant and now after like feed this kid and take care of this kid. A lot of people don't have like real memories from that yeah. time. I look back at pictures now and I'm like, when the fuck did that happen? Like, I don't remember yeah. that. Um, I think I mean from the, the teaching standpoint though, that it is embedded in curriculum that we have the expectation that you're going to have an anticlimactic moment when that moment usually is, I, I think back to not my last two births because nobody was there. But when family's waiting for a new baby, who do they want to see after a baby's born? Most of the time, the, the baby. baby. The baby's freaking right? cute, man. That's what I, and I mm. think that we we focus so yeah. much on that piece yeah. when everybody's like, oh, can I see the baby? And meanwhile, mom's there, yeah. literally yeah. been just, just done the hardest thing yeah. she's ever, the most incredible thing. And yeah. no one rarely even, nobody wants to look at her because she's leaking. And Emily, I, I think you're onto something here. I think it's interesting because I, I do think there is something to be said about the fact that empowering women to just have more information beyond buying a stroller is important yeah. and giving people the understanding. Like I remember when my, I had this Iranian midwife with my lot with Elias. I was 18 months, 18 weeks pregnant, 18 months, 18 <laughs> weeks pregnant. And she's like, we're about to chart. We're going to test you for spina bifida right now. And I was like, way to pop my fucking pink balloon that this is like, I was wearing cute outfits and taking bumpy selfies. This isn't supposed to be a like, spina shit bifida. Just got real. <laughs> like shit got real, real quick with yeah. the midwives. And then she's like, you have the choice right now to do the test or not because if you know it you're going to have to actually make a decision about what you're going to do about that so we're giving you something called informed decision making we we are going to explain to you every step of the way that here's a test that you can take or not take and i was like holy fucking shit 
I just entered the big leagues of adulthood, right? And it was when she said to me in her little Iranian accident, you need to take a test now for spina bifida. And I was like, no, I need to dress cute and like make my birth announcement and get my cake cutting party ready. Like people get so fucking caught up in the wrong bullshit. It's like, like, it's like wedding day. It's a great example. Like spend the time investing in knowing the person and not what you wore that day because marrying that person is probably the most important decision you're ever going to make. So probably. I do. Probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> That's my parents' first marriage. Yes. Ran um, a um, banquet hall for my entire yeah. life growing up. So it literally, yeah. I compare a lot of things to weddings because yeah, yeah you spend, and my mom would, be, she would have people, <laughs> she did everything. Like yeah. they had this, um, a beautiful place was the old Corby uh, distillery actually. And the, they would come in with their binders and their, and this is my event planner. And my mom's like, you're going to talk to me for 20 minutes mm-hmm. and I bet you're going to fire them. And they'd be like, no way. My mom said, this is who you, this, this, and this, this is all you need. Call me in two months. Yeah. We'll go over your numbers and your menu. Have a great day. Yeah. And she just broke it down to the most basics. People care about food. And people care about their music. Other than that, who who cares? And the way I kind of relate that to birth is, what are you going to remember when you're 90 years old? You're going to remember how you felt that day. You're not going to remember, you know, what they looked like or um, how cute and what they smelled like or whether they were like puking up meconium for days and staining yeah. all of their sweet little baby clothes. I my other real job, my real job in quotations is working with older adults with dementia and women who are severely demented remember what their birth was like. Interesting. Not all of them, but mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, you call them peaks and valleys, right? And that's either a peak or it's a valley. Mm-hmm. And I, like you said, people need to know and people mm-hmm. need to know the reality of how good, how bad or how other it could be mm-hmm. and how you have a say in that scenario. And Coming back to the birth plans and things like that, I believe um, it's not a birth plan. And I think a lot of people call it, consider a birth ideal a birth plan. And that's what my first birth plan was. It was an ideal. It was full of fluff. And I wanted this because I thought a natural birth would make me a good mom, would make me a, a superhuman. You know, I read all of the stuff, right? I was so absorbed in it. And that's not what makes it a good birth. It's how and how you feel. And the, the research supports that um, positive relationships, so mm-hmm. with your care provider, um, positive relationships with your birth partner, so be that your spouse or the person who's going to support you, um, as well as your expectations of the experience. And believe it or not, research shows that the higher your expectation of how your birth will go, the better the outcomes. Because... It's showing that, again, it's not the birth ideal. It's expected that you are going to be treated with a certain level of professionalism, with respect, with dignity, mm-hmm. and then following through to make sure that that's how you're treated. So you have um, positive relationships, you have expectations, you have labor support. So that's one thing that everyone across the board can agree on. Nurses, physicians, midwives, doulas, having, in research, um, having consistent, constant labor support will improve your birth outcomes. And that may come in the form of a RN who is your, you know, your team lead. If you're in having a hospital birth with an OB, it may be your midwife. 
It might be a doula. It might be your mom. But the point is, is that someone is dedicated to you Mm -hmm. to anticipate your needs and to meet your needs because Mm -hmm. most spouses don't have a freaking clue. Not all of them, not all of them, but it's a lot to ask of a spouse. Ina May can show you the way. Um, (laughs) Andrew, how much involvement did you have during my labors? None. <laughs> Andrew was so uninvolved in my labors by my choice. <laughs> and you know, we're talking about like consistent care, right? Like I, I had deliveries by physicians. Mm-hmm. Three of the times were by, well, once Andrew caught the baby, twice was my physician and yeah. once my physician was not there. And, you know, I had an RN the whole yeah. time, but like they're taking care of like three or four they, of the moms, right? And so they they're in and out. And, work and they, but to be honest, so I'm not someone who wanted anything. I wanted you to leave me alone and I don't want you to touch me and I don't want you to rub my back. You know, Andrew... I don't want anything. I want to watch a movie and like walk around and pace and get in whatever positions made me feel most comfortable when I was laboring. <laughs> but I don't want you to touch me. The only involvement Andrew had with me was like when I was about to deliver, like the last five minutes, he would give me a cold cloth to my forehead. Yeah. And then he would ask me periodically, do you want another one? Do you want another one? And that was literally the only involvement. Is that right, Andrew? Pretty much. And, I think and he videoed. And he videoed. So, so it, there's that. And he cut the cord and caught the baby the first time. On the head, though, like I'm the same way. Like yeah. let me go in the shower, yeah. turn the lights off, and Fuck you if you're coming in and talking yeah. to me because yeah. I will not speak to you. I yeah. get in the zone yeah. and people are like, oh, did you do hypnobirthing? No, I just cope with my own shit yeah. by myself in the shower. That's yeah. how I deal with all of life's problems. Yeah. But <laughs> having someone who knows that that's your boundary, yeah. right? Versus the overzealous or think, you know, knowing, okay, she's gone by herself or yeah. into her zone because she needs that versus she's secluding herself and she's overwhelmed. Yeah. You know, that's the right. piece I think you really yeah. need someone but, but this who is another piece it. where I don't think people know what they'll want. So right. I absolutely thought with my first delivery, I would want a massage. We brought massage oil yeah. and we brought like, like a massage thing, like a thing that he could, like a knuckle, whatever, you know, like those little a tools vibrator, or whatever. Yeah, it's a vibrator. No, like a neck tool, <laughs> you know. It's, it's um, a yeah. It's okay. <laughs> And those are the things yeah. that I like. I consider. I thought I want that. I didn't want him to touch me in the yeah. actual act. I had yep. no interest whatsoever in any right. kind of contact with him whatsoever. And I was like, "Do you want to eat something? Yeah. Do you want me water? Sure." And then I was like, "Just don't touch me." But I really Before thought I would want that. Yeah. I go. Yeah. I was but like, I'm back, actually delivering now. He had your back, of course. Yeah. Right? yeah if I wanted exactly. to massage, he massaged me, but exactly. I just wanted to. For yeah. like my husband, the last birth, he was like. He's like, I didn't realize like he felt left out because like mm-hmm. I just went and, and I was in the bed and it totally changed. Whereas our second birth, I hired a birth photographer. He thought I was insane. He's I like, wish I had done that. It's my I videoed all my births. I had, I had one booked for each one. And then in the moment I was like, I don't really want them to do this. And really? then I was like, photography or videography? Video, uh, yeah. photo- photography. I yeah. had hired, I literally had them on call and then never yeah. called. Yeah. And I like made the decision not to call. And it's one of my biggest life regrets and I have to say majority of our listeners have to be I believe are new parents or um, veteran parents or those who are like very near expecting maybe their like second or third kid I don't really think we have a lot of first time parents who are expecting listening but if you know somebody and you're a listener this is a great episode to send to somebody because like the app I believe women can only digest very small amount of information at a time. And that's why those stupid apps tell you today your kid is growing an ear and they're a size of a banana, right? Because that's all you can consume. Just one ear. (laughs) 
<laughs> one year, one day, one year, the next day. Piece by piece by piece. You know what it's I'm like getting It's like your potato head. Yeah. One year, exactly. one nose, the bow tie. Well, you toast I'm today. Here, okay. <laughs> um, but that's what I really think it is. And I think Absolutely. what's interesting with you, Emily, is you're giving somebody the option to coach them. Now, my question for you in your business model, hmm. do you do postpartum follow-up with each? you got to be I'm, following up I'm with each person. I'm kind of like evolving as we, as we go because I had a very different vision for this, obviously, yeah. shortly after that traumatic idyllic how old is your baby by the way my baby's seven months oh you have a really young one yeah i have a really little one my eldest is seven oh wow so i have a seven three and a half we lost twins in march of 2018 yeah it really fucking sucked and that also a blessed memory gave me a very different view because again before that Mm -hmm. i thought birth was bringing home a live baby Mm -hmm versus that day is still March 9th, 2018 will always be etched in my mind. And that's, it's not a bad day. Mm -hmm. It was a very well supported day. It was sad. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But I, it actually was probably one of the best experiences in terms of how I was supported and loved. Um, And I thought, why don't we do this to people who, (laughs) like, how come you can't be so sweet and thoughtful and kind? Mm -hmm and ask me how I'm doing right now because mm-hmm. you know that they're not coming home with me mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. thinking I'm a piece of meat. And again, that's an extreme, but yeah, when but you look meta, at the two, meta, I think yeah. people you know? feel very, um, cause I, I've had, I've had a lot of patients yeah. that have lost babies and I've seen them kind of in between or at the beginning or, or whatnot. And I think a lot of, uh, a lot of w- women don't necessarily want the attention they might, mm-hmm. but they, mm-hmm. but they, because lo- like when you're talking about failure at the beginning, et yeah. cetera, I mean, a lot of people feel a lot of, like, not just loss, but like failure, like they did something wrong or their body didn't, you know, do what it should have done, exactly. et cetera. And then I think a lot of people on the other end, partners included, feel awkward about it. Like, you know, what do you say to someone who's just lost a baby? Like, yeah. there's nothing worse than that. And you, and you find too with family and friends, you know, some people don't say anything to yeah. you. And yeah. the, I'm going to shout out to my Auntie Kelly right now, who is usually Yo, like- Auntie Kelly. We're going to- We're going to like, get, <laughs> get it out there. And I remember her hugging me when I went to her, um, it was her wedding anniversary. She gave me a hug and she whispered in my ear, I'm really sorry that your babies died. Hmm. Best thing anyone said to me. It could be very hard for someone else, but she called it, like that's who she is, right? She's yeah. not going to beat around the bush. That's what happened. I'm sorry it happened to you. Yeah. And we carried on. And it was, again, that- addressing something and being forth forthcoming being out there um but that experience definitely influenced how you know piece by piece that we get here and in terms of um that overall business model it's that curated online learning so just the course i'm planning on adding toolkits so like those extra little c-section again everyone should know what that involves Mm -hmm. because you don't know if you're going to be that's on your plate. Cause I literally, again, the first birth was like, I'm not going to the hospital. None of this is going to happen to me because I'm so positive. And if I pack a hospital bag, that means I'm wishing it upon myself. Trust me, pack your hospital bag if you're planning a home birth, because the last thing you want to do is get all your shit together while you're trying to run out the door. Yeah, um, just Or when things are not going well. Yeah, just yeah. have it, have it ready. And yeah. even if it's bare minimum, depending on your outlook on, you know, but- so we have that curated learning piece and um, then kind of private service and coaching. So be it care planning um, to help work through that birth plan, but in a more concrete way, not a birth ideal, a care plan, which outlines That's how so you smart. It really expected. Is smart. Because how many, I'm sure like 
everybody has a care plan. That's what I, I worked with older adults with dementia and their care plan was gold because that tells you who they are. It tells you what their story is, what might impact, what might trigger things. Because as a, a healthcare provider, most, if it's an on-call structure or even you've never met your nurses, how are they going to know if you have a history of sexual assault? How do they know if your partner has PTSD and being in an you know, separated from their baby is going to be a major trick. Those are things that people need to establish in a document that they can feel comfortable sharing because a lot of attitude around the birth plan is this is a joke. It's an ideal. I've heard um, people say, I've been at nursing stations where I've seen them laughed at, thrown in the recycling. And I get that one extreme because there are a lot of people who come in and be like, this is going to be perfect because I've written it down. And that's not my my approach. I want you to be prepared for those holy shit moments yeah. that you can say, you know what? We went over this, you know, maybe a couple weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago. And I actually know what shoulder dystocia is. And I know that they're going to try X, Y, and Z before um, I have a, a close friend who experienced an extremely traumatic experience with a placental abruption. Like, What's that? Um, where this placenta separates from the uterus before mm-hmm. the baby's out. So cause a uh, risk of major bleeding, shock, like very, very emergent situation. Mm-hmm. And the placenta is giving oxygen and blood to the baby. Thank you. So the placenta <laughs> abrupts, breaks, mm-hmm. or pulls apart from the uterus. Baby then doesn't necessarily have blood or oxygen and... Um, can die Baby could die really quickly. Mm-hmm. And also mom could die. She could bleed out. Yeah. And again, serious, serious complication. And I also go over that in the course of being, how you differentiate between those, holy shit, this is an emergency now moment versus this is something we need to discuss and look at. Right. Because the mood changes very quickly of people come in, lights get brighter, things, the feeling changes. And she said, all it took... Um, you know, so many things could have been done different mm-hmm. because when someone's manually dilating your cervix, there's no what nice way to do that without an epidural. Right. Um, but she said, if someone had treated me like a human being during that, it probably would have been different. Mm-hmm. And that conversation with her took, I worked ER for a very short time, not my cup of tea by any means. <laughs> um, but I remember a few people who, you know, this was, crazy situations, not baby um, being born, but life and death situations. And sometimes it's not that conversation of explaining what's going on. It's putting your hand on somebody. It's taking two seconds to look Mm -hmm. at someone in the eye and let them know that someone's there. Someone sees that they are there and that this is happening to them. Because she said, nobody looked at her. Nobody talked to her. People held her, physically held her down. But nobody said, we're here for you. And her debrief with her physician after, who wasn't her physician, but who delivered the baby, was basically like, well, we don't know why it happened. Sorry. And here's a mom who's suffering from literally a PTSD diagnosis Mm -hmm. because of what happened to her body. And I'm not saying that anything was done wrong in terms of she's so happy to have her baby and have a healthy... But that is a piece of that experience because we wouldn't expect someone to walk away from an ER, a traumatic car accident where, you know, someone who knows, like just pain and terror. We wouldn't expect them to function, to go home with this new baby and say, or or go back to your family and 
care for them. Exactly. Not only exist, but show up for them, thrive, feed your baby, love your baby, love your partner, Mm -hmm. love your other kids. And people, um, it's funny. I was listening to the episode with Nadine Mm -hmm. about, you know, the personality difference of a C-section mom versus a vaginal birth mom. And, I think you could broaden that to say, look at moms who have had a traumatic birth, which many associate a C-section with. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be traumatic, but many do Mm -hmm. versus a mom who's had a good vaginal birth. Yeah. And you feel like a different person. You literally walk, again, not every time and not every day, Mm -hmm. but when you walk out of something feeling like, holy shit, I just did that versus they just did that to me. There's a very different... Um, That's a very interesting way of putting it. And I think what's in- interesting, Emily, with this podcast and what I think Dina and I are trying to be trailblazers, and so are you, to be honest, from what I hear from your work, is like, it's 2019. There's a lot of places you can get information, but we have good quality information right here. And people have access to better information than they've ever had. And I, it's, I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's our responsibility as this generation of moms to sort of leave our f- fingerprint for our daughters and our sons Absolutely. to be better informed about all of these things and to know that there is choice and that there are options to just know. And that like if we can mitigate trauma, why not as much as possible, but also be smart and know that if an intervention is needed, don't push back on your physician when they're telling you you are in a traumatic situation. But I also do think that there is something to be said about like, I'm somebody who's had a very positive, beautiful, natural birth to the T. Exactly. But each birth was different. I didn't know what to expect. And you have amnesia between one birth and the other. So you're like, oh shit. Yes, this is why this is bad and hard. Yeah. And this is oh, why yeah, I hated this. This is why this is happening again. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this again. And then you forget and you do it again. So I think what's interesting for our listeners, which are probably a lot of first time parents who will probably will entertain the idea of having a second birth, is that perhaps maybe their first birth was traumatic for them in one way and are still PS, PM, post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. disorder. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to be able to at least even have this conversation because we haven't dubbed we haven't delved this deep into this particular conversation. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? I, I think, I mean, I think it's hard there. I mean, there's no doubt some doctors and, and care providers are shit and don't communicate well. You know, I struggle with this, with, with the conversation really, I have to say, because I've been on it from both ends and I've been someone who's been delivering in a hospital and I've had people suggesting strongly over and over again that I have interventions for which I've said, no, I don't want to, no, I don't want to. With my last kid, after having three... Wait, wasn't someone trying to school you who was some like... Oh my med- God. Oh, that's kid? a whole other thing. <laughs> oh, I can go into that if you want. Well, somebody but. didn't know who you were or something and they were like trying to... Health yeah. teaching. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll come back to it. I'll yeah. come back to that. But you know, with my, with my fourth, I'd already had three vaginal non-epidural deliveries and the number of different times they asked me if I want an epidural yet was astounding. Mm-hmm. I think like four or five times in the four hours that I was there. And every time I would say, no, I'm good. I didn't have an epidural last time. Oh, oh okay. 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 And like an hour later, so do you want an epidural now? No, I don't want a fucking epidural. It was bizarre how many times they asked me. And so why? that was weird. I thought yeah. that was just very strange and different nurses and whatever. Anyway, that was a weird experience for me, but I understand why people feel kind of peer pressure to do stuff. But also if you are planning to have an epidural this labor and you are far off and long and then you start to feel real pain because that is what happens, right? I mean, all Absolutely. of labor hurts, but the last bit of labor hurts a lot more <laughs> A lot more. It's usually okay? when it's too late yeah. to get and then Exactly right. Then it's too late to get an epidural. So if you're someone who's like, okay, I'm going to grin and bear it, I'm going to grin and bear it. And like labor hurts, like fuck. Like it really fucking hurts. Oh, it's awful. 
Um, but getting towards the end, you can no longer place an epidural if you're in truly active labor. So mm-hmm. it's just one thing to think about, you know. And an epidural <clears throat> is um, a huge part of what I want to educate people on as well, because again, coming from one extreme and then needing one after 18 units of Pitocin and back, you know, an OP baby that was facing the wrong way. And it was off and it's like, oh yeah, this has a place. And it actually, I um, went to the hospital to support a friend who had just got a laceration on their arm and she was getting the freezing and freaking. She wasn't upset about like the cut. She wasn't in pain, but that a lidocaine that they gave her before stitching was awful, freaking. And in that moment, I thought, holy shit, this is a person who would benefit. Her birth would be better. She wasn't having a baby at that time, but I thought this is a person who birth would be torture and a suffering experience for her if she had to feel certain pain, Mm -hmm. which is, that's her thing. There's no amount of education, no amount of support, teaching. That is going to change that for her because that's her relationship with, being pain. uncomfortable in right. pain. Yeah. Um, whereas other people, like I know, like I was saying myself, I just go into it and hope that I'm going to get out on the other side. Mm-hmm. But again, you get to a point where um, my youngest, his birth was very quick. We got there again. The three boys? Three boys, yeah. Um, very, very, very quick. Um, but they, I had Pitocin given to me once I got there to speed things up because it was, like I said, thick, nasty meconium. We yeah. didn't, he was not over, you know, he was th- less than 39 weeks. Um, mm-hmm. My babies all come around 39 weeks in two days. And so they were like, eh, let's get him out. He was happy the whole time. They monitored. Um, but the, um, totally lost my train of thought there. But near the end, it like that transition part was crazy and it was hard because the last birth I was like oh this is going to take forever because I pushed for three hours and I thought oh my god I can't do this for three more hours I cannot do this and I remember the physician came in he checked me he's like okay you're 10 centimeters but he's like oh that baby's really high and he's facing the wrong way and it was just like it took the life out of me because I was already struggling at that point and the way he worded it was just kind of like okay, we better hunker down kind of thing. And I literally threw a temper tantrum. I'm laying in the bed. He left. I grabbed the side rails and I whipped myself over and I threw my left leg over my right leg, which is kind of like a sideline release, which is like a maneuver to help open things up. I didn't do it intentionally. It was me literally being like, I don't want to fucking do this anymore. I'm so done. Mm -hmm. And I did that role and I literally felt the baby like, move down (laughs) and I was like oh gonna push and next thing I know they're like oh can you please come back in here and that was like that's how fast it can change Mm -hmm. that can go from oh we're going to be here for a while to oh your baby's coming out that happened to all four of my kids all four of my kids the doctor said the kid's not coming yet my, the first, Andrew caught again, he, they were very, very wrong. And <laughs> my second, third, and fourth, I was in active labor. They came in and said, you're anywhere between eight and nine yep. centimeters, but not 10 centimeters. Yep, not and you will not be delivering now. And they left. And within 45 seconds on video, okay. I was like, Andrew, get the doctor. And all those times I delivered within a minute. And mm-hmm. you have to wonder, like... And you feel differently. But that's the benefit of no epidural. Because yes. if I had an epidural, yeah. it could have been five more hours. Yeah. I have no idea. In but I knew exactly what my body wanted to do. My body wanted to get the fucking baby out. Yeah, yeah. like, I'm done with this. Please go. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, if 
literally, like I thought a fetal ejection reflex was a joke. Like I thought it was no, a that's made not up. 100% legit. Oh, when you say when your baby wants to come out, your baby's coming out. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like the name is fetal ejection reflex, which mm-hmm. literally means like your uterus is ejecting your baby out <laughs> of your body. <gasps> yeah, you can feel it around. I mean, you, you had yeah. no epidurals either. So yeah, you know that gonna, moment where your body's like, I'm just getting out of it. So like, that's what happened with my, with my first kid. I was like, this baby... What I love about midwifery, and I have to give a huge shout out to my midwife collective because I've had the same team twice now, basically. Um, and it's funny because my primary midwife, so I had like three or four. By the time my daughter Essa was born, this past, my past baby, who's turning one next month, um, there was nine people in the room. She was the ninth person who showed up into my bedroom, okay? Like I had my kid on my bedroom floor, but they just trust your fucking mom like they trust the body like my midwives just like believed me when I said I needed to do certain things and they gave me options every step of the way and but then there were certain points where my last midwife was just like I know a little bit better than you let's move this party upstairs and I'm just gonna build this birthing stool and you're just gonna sit on it so the way she even just like coaxed me onto it I was like that wasn't my vision but you were a smart lady and that was Mm -hmm. a good idea and I remember with Elias they like like, I was in the birthing tub and they don't love for you to deliver in the tub she's like just swing your legs up and I'm just going to feel. And she's like, you're 10 centimeters. I want you to reach down and you can feel your kid's head. And I was like, holy fucking shit. Feeling my kid's motherfucking head and feeling the hair was the motivation for me to get that motherfucker out of me. And then after I did it, I remember feeling Herculean, completely Herculean. And I remember Mm -hmm. my friends who've had C-sections and then had V-backs telling me, what a dramatic difference having a labor through vaginal births versus a c-section in terms of how they felt afterwards Mm -hmm. and i couldn't imagine my experiences going any other but when i think i'm almost like ecstatic for somebody to be able to have such a differentiator in terms of how they experience birth i do find though too i recently had a lot of women that had emergency or like almost emergency sections for their first and then planned c-sections for their second and women tend to have that same good yes. feeling with because plan it, with the plan C. Yeah. So maybe not necessarily with vaginal deliveries, but right. having the non chaos of the right. second birth, the, a lot of women really value that controlled C-section. Yeah. And I don't know, I mean, they don't actually have a V-back, so I don't know what their experience would be otherwise. Right. But recently I've had a slew of second time moms that had planned C-sections because, because they had the first C-section. They were like, fuck this. I don't want to have a traumatic delivery again. Right. And, and feeling really great about that experience too. That's good. It's good and to know. Yeah. I think that it's huge knowing that you can have so much control and influence. And I think a lot of, especially C-section moms, not everybody, but I feel like you you take an ownership over the next time if you're going to have a next time right. and be it repeat C-section that you're like, I don't want this, this, and this to happen this yeah. time. Or I, I don't think it's so much like, I don't want people to think this is us saying that like C-section is bad or anything. No, It's no, the emergency part of it that I think yes. the chaos, the confusion, the we got to get this baby out because the baby's in danger or you're in danger or you've been doing this for too long or yeah. whatnot. Is that, and, and that not, may not be a C-section and it and may an be maybe vacuum or, 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 or whatever, but whatever, or an episiotomy. I mean, mm-hmm. we haven't talked about episiotomies, but when they have to like cut your vagina to allow a bigger space, your vagina, so your vagina is bigger so your baby can come out more. All of that um, emergency stuff can be traumatizing, of course. Absolutely. And 
I should add, add that it would be traumatizing even if someone looked you in the eye and said, here's what we're going to do. And not to, not to diminish that because I think it's incredibly important and I think that proper communication is really key. But for some women that still have that traumatic sense of things, maybe mm. someone did look her in the eye and say, here's what we're going to do. But there's chaos going around. Your baby you think is going to die. Yeah. And so how much do you really process of that kindness for those 10 seconds? Mm-hmm. What's... I still think it's most valuable is taking the baby out and being healthy, really, because you can spend a couple minutes with that mom talking to her about how things are going and the baby not, may not be getting oxygen and that is not better for anybody, you know? Um, but in the chaos, how much do people remember? You know, what's the perception of the experience? It it may not be, like for the example you gave with the PTSD, mm-hmm. maybe the doctors or nurses or midwives or whoever were actually very kind and very attentive, but her experience of it was there's chaos and my baby might die. And that might overshadow any kindness she received. Do you know what I mean? So I totally. think a lot of it is and about perception. That's a piece too where follow-up is not there, right? To help help people process what that trauma was because it's your baby's healthy, you're sewn up, mm-hmm. see ya. Yeah. See you in six weeks. Yeah. And how are you supposed to cope from point A to point B. And I guess who's following it too, right? If you are following with a physician, you will see your physician at six weeks. But unlike, you know, if you have a doula who call, can you just follow you or midwifery care? Yeah. And then who else are you going to see? Like I, I as, your, as the baby's physician, can talk to you about it, yeah. but that's not my expertise and I'm not a physician for women. So mm-hmm. there is a bit of a, a disconnect there. There, yeah. there certainly should be some kind of follow-up. Oh yeah. I like, yeah. if I could reform one thing in healthcare and if you're listening, any people who are lobbyists who want to get the mom vote, because I did get a call about that today, by the way. Um, somebody who's a lobbyist for one of the parties was like, I wonder what their agenda is, like the mom's agenda. My agenda would be, like one of many would be like a reform on how women are treated in those six weeks and like bridging the gap a bit because as somebody who received midwife care and had a home visit on the first day, third day, fifth day, seventh day, and 10th day after my kid was born, you better believe somebody was rounding on me. Did I have baby blues that day? Someone checking my perineum, somebody making sure I was shitting properly, making sure that I had food in my fridge saw the support I had in my family was like, you are an okay person because there's nine people here nonstop for the good and the bad. But somebody rounding on me that way and like with my first son, me not knowing that within 24 hours, he was dehydrated because I didn't feed him because I didn't have the proper information, right? So I think there could be something to be said about making a traumatic situation, having a baby is trauma. I don't care. Like it's all good, but it's all traumatic. But if somebody can lessen the blow by giving you a warm hug, you know, that's what my midwives were to me. They were a warm motherfucking hug. And I'm talking about not the senior midwives, those student, you know, equivalent of a fellow. It's just someone who's caring. They're just caring, checking out on you, you know, talking to you, knew my name, knew my kids' names, knew where I lived, you know, helped themselves to a glass of tea in my house. But like I had a, I would say on the spectrum of like zero being the worst experience and 10 being the best, I had an 11 on both of my births and deliveries. And I'm back, a back lucky in the day, motherfucker. Back in Incredible. the day, the doctor, yeah. either the doctor that delivered you or, well, I guess midwives were around, but if a doctor delivered you, they'd come to your home after, like a midwife would, mm-hmm. or the physician who takes care of your kid used to like do house calls. Like there are still physicians in Toronto that still practice as pediatricians that like were part of that era where they did like home calls for families. Um, the issue was money. Or you I mean, stayed in hospital a, for seven days oh, after that's, you had that's your babies, you know, like yeah. way back. And, then well, yeah, like, uh, and that was the situation I would have done a hospital yeah. for. Private, privatized medicine, they still do that, right? I mean, in the States, if you deliver and you're in a private hospital, you can stay five, six, seven days, whatever. Not my choice. Like, I'd want to just be out. I, I want nothing to do with that place. I no, would have to be out. Like, and get, I was, I was very happy out. to leave at four hours with, with Jason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
But um, yeah, so back in the day, you know, physicians came to your house. The issue was money. It cost a lot of money to follow up. So I mean, so public health nurses will call if you're not um, in a midwife care system yeah. or if you have interest actually because they ask you when you're leaving actually, hospital. Actually, they also ran on you for a midwifery. Mm-hmm. And also there's a few tests that they don't do immediately for a home birth because they don't have the... Oh, like the newborn screen. Yeah. And the they also, yeah. the hearing test. Yes. You have to go postpartum. And I remember the first time I took Elias to a hospital, it was three weeks postpartum to get his hearing test. And I was like, we are not sick. Why am I here? And I was like, oh, right. Most people have babies in here. It's like, they're not sick either, but this is just the way of the yeah, world. Yeah, like with Jason, yeah. I left after four hours, even though he was born in a hospital, but you have to do a 12 hour, or sorry, 24 hour later blood test and, and a hearing test. The, perk, say, the, the heel the prick? Poke, yeah. So it's yeah, a newborn the, the screen. do that actually at home, like, which is nice. Hmm. No, it's so awesome yeah and it's it's such a huge complex huge like as individual as each person is having this birth is the tip of the iceberg as yeah. is their birth their physiology their everything and I think that what really moves me to talk about this and share this is that my husband looked at me after we had a particular we had a sub midwife one day and she said some things that we were both like okay. I didn't, I was like, not my regular, just carry on. Mm. And he looked at me and he said, what do regular people do who don't know that what she just said to you was a against her practice standards Mm -hmm. and B totally not appropriate. And outside of, you know, her, her jurisdiction. And I said, people go along with it. That's the story of my life. I counsel all day, every day on things that were told to moms after delivery, how to feed their baby, swaddle or don't swaddle, Give them water if they're thirsty. All sorts of incredible nonsense. Take them outside, strip them down. You don't really have to feed. If your baby's sleeping outside, they won't get jaundice. Like all sorts of incredible bullshit that is dangerous for babies. Yes, and people don't know where to go for. They don't know. They listen good. to whoever seems to be authoritative, right? If you if you have a, if you're passionate, or Facebook group, and, yeah, well, that too. Hey, hi. Yeah. Check out my kids' <laughs> yeah. rash. Yeah, like, don't exactly. Do that. Yes, tell me That's what the rash worst, is, right? Like, yeah. I t- I broke yeah. up with the moms groups in July, and mm-hmm. I haven't looked yeah. back. Because no, I'm, like, talking, I'm talking about nursing anymore. staff and stuff, like yeah. nursing oh. staff in the hospitals, like right. trying to counsel on things that they that is not their expertise, but they are passionate and they're experienced, and so they they pass right. on information. And sometimes information is wrong, and you know, luckily these things come up in my practice, and I'm able to to kind of tell them. The other thing is too, we're we're, we're talking about this is this is a very um, Toronto opportunity, by the way, to like have the option to have a midwife or, yeah. or a physician I or an obstetrician in the first place, like, right? There's lots of places that you don't have any options. There are only midwives or there are only family physicians or there are only obstetricians and you where, can only deliver in hospital or only deliver at home. So this is like a very unique, we have many, like, yeah. many options I am, here. 200, like less than 200 kilometers down the road was, you know, we have... I would probably get the number wrong, around eight midwives for a population of 50,000 people. Mm-hmm. So we have long wait lists. Their, their scope of practice, which is you know designated by their governing body, is severely limited, even compared to you know they can um, work in another hospital down the road and have full scope versus what they're allowed locally. And then our, our I think this is fairly normal that OBs are on an on-call schedule. Yes. So typically, if you're not in midwife care where... I am is you're followed by your GP if you have one mm-hmm. um, until around 34, 36 weeks. Then you go to an OB who you may or may not see to deliver your baby. So it's like, why do you even bother for the last few weeks when they may not be there? And there's a lot of like broken pieces of that. And yeah, it's 
it's a huge privilege thing about where you live, how accessible it is. When I was in Saskatchewan, I worked in a rural community that was over a hundred kilometers from, you know, the biggest city center. So those women were, there's a lot of road babies because the hospital I worked at didn't deliver babies. Mm -hmm. We weren't, I was always hoping somebody would walk through the door, but it never happened. (laughs) And yeah, they have to drive in Saskatchewan winter to the hospital. And what choice do you have there? Or you deliver at home. Yeah. Or you deliver at home without a care provider is your option, right? Right. You either have to choose travel. An unplanned home birth is the scariest thing of all time. Like an unsupported, unprofessionalized home birth to me would be, that to me would be extraordinarily scary. For me in the position that I'm in, I have a lot of people I know personally that are part of that community as a healthcare professional. What do you mean part of what community? Uh, the f- like free birth or unassisted community. What is that? I've never even heard of that. It's like the far, far extreme of like no care, no nothing. You deliver your baby at home, which can seem absolutely unfathomable to some people. But again- It's the reality in the world though. It is. It, it is. And most The vast majority of babies are born like, at home with- Maybe a grandmother helping, or maybe like yeah, a right. midwife, quote unquote, like, like some community yeah, village. Yeah, 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 I mean that is you know. But in the in, modern world, where somebody has access to medicine, they cho- or midwifery or anything, they choose yeah. to be they, a free birther. I've yes. never heard that expression before. And again, as the position I'm in, it's not something I personally recommend. But at the same time, it's something I can't condemn. Right. Right. I'm not here to tell you what your what the choices that you should make. Right. Um, I personally don't. Um, offer any resources or connections to that community because I feel as a, you know, I'm in good standing with my college and everything. Mm-hmm. That's not my bag. Right. However, I am not sitting here and saying, don't do it. Right. Nor am I saying that's your only option. It's right. if you're interested, there's a whole world out there, do your research. Um, but I think there's, there's a spectrum between that very natural movement mm-hmm. and even natural birth isn't a word I try to use, I use physiologic birth in terms of that normal process that's uninterrupted and right. it comes, the baby comes out of your vagina versus something that's augmented or an intervention based birth. So you have one end of nothing very, very like rudimentary, if you will. And then on the other spectrum, you have a highly medicalized birth where when you walk through the door, you get the IV, you get the admission strip, you get the, you know, the uh, continuous monitoring, Mm -hmm. all of the things. And there's so many people in the middle that they don't need all of those things in terms of when you walk in as a normal, healthy, pregnant person. Right. I'm not talking about high risk because that's a whole other bag. But even as high risk, you can be seen as a, a person with some a voice in it. And no, I, as a nursing student, I got my most experience putting IVs in, in labor and delivery because everyone who came through got one. Meanwhile, it's like, you can just drink and eat Mm -hmm. if you feel like it. And we don't need to give you fluids. Right. Again, that's not for everybody. So you can choose if you want one, but I don't like them. They don't make me feel good. And they, I like to be in the shower. So I don't want to be attached but if there's a need or something changes, right. absolutely, let's have that conversation. But right. please don't put me they in. want a pick line. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, just hook me right up to everything. Look, and- I'm somebody who like, I, I had a, because my experience is informed by my own experience, I've actually bared witness to things that are quite horrific in the birth and delivery world um, firsthand. But um, in terms of my own experience, I can, I'm only informed by what I know, right? And you're only informed by your experience yep. as anyone is. So, um, in summation, Emily, if there's one thing you want our listeners to know today, what's your like, we don't ask a lot of questions, but this <laughs> is the question we always ask. What's like the message you want everyone to hear 
you want it to resonate, it's on your tombstone. Like, what is the thing you want people to know about this particular topic? That the birth of your child or the child that you are carrying for someone is the most transformative day of your life. Mm-hmm. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Don't let anyone talk you down from it being the greatest day of your life. And don't let anyone tell you that the worst day of your life was okay because you brought your baby home. Both experiences are transformative and your life will never be the same. So it is worth investing energy, time, attention, and love into making it a good thing. And I think it's possible. Tina, what did you learn today? Uh, I'm not trying to learn anything per se. I think it was an interesting conversation, one that I didn't know we'd be going into, really. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, what, what I think is important is that I agree. I think you should make your your experience the best that it can be. If it wasn't a good experience, there are ways to reframe that and get counseling if you need. You know, find, you know, people that can discuss things with you, counselor, social worker, psychologist, et cetera, your partner. A lot of times these things, we didn't at all talk about the partner here, but, you know, if you're having a traumatic delivery, your partner is there watching. That's very traumatic for that person. Um, even if the delivery is amazing, I think a lot of partners feel very left out in that experience too. Like it's, you're saying it's like the the most amazing thing for the person delivering, but it it often is the most amazing thing for your partner as well. But they're totally outside of this. So like it's a whole other conversation. A lot of my husband, a lot of a lot of partners have a lot of partners have told me that before they felt very um, separated. Like no one gave them attention because why would they give them attention? It's all on the mom and the baby, right? Mm-hmm. So even less so than than the person delivering. Um, I think you should make as much as you can. Uh, it should be a group effort. It should be the person delivering. It should be the care providers providing the best care for everyone. And I think the most you're on the same page with each other, the better. And unfortunately, sometimes you don't have your care provider delivering your baby. Mm-hmm. And But I think as most as you can, try to put faith in this other person that they know what they're doing, that they have experience. They've seen a lot more than you have. They've seen shit go well and they've seen shit go bad. And I do want people to... I don't want people to leave this conversation feeling that they shouldn't trust no, their care provider. That's not my intention at all either. Yeah. I think my goal is just to question things, right? To understand that there is there's a lot of information you can access yourself and there's a lot of mm-hmm. questions you can ask of your care provider yeah. that they, as a partner in your experience, should be willing to have that conversation with you. Yes. Before I think education is a good thing. I think it's also can make you scared though. So if you, I think it's easy to become frightened of the various options. And uh, I just don't want anyone to leave the conversation here and be like, now I know what C-section is. I know I know what vacuum is, but I don't want that for my kid and be even more resistant to having it, having that happen when the moment that's important. And this is only a conversation, right? It's like, Alana said, the Mm. tip of the iceberg, Mm. and there is so much more than this, and it's worth learning about. Yeah, Yeah, I think information is powerful, and people should be educated about what what might happen. So I agree that education is helpful. I just don't want to be making people fearful even more so of those various things and making it even more scary in the moment because they read about what a vacuum is, and they for sure didn't want that for their kid, but now the doctor's saying I need it, and what do I do now? And like, in a way, it can make you, it could stunt you a bit, too Mm -hmm. much information that makes you fearful. So anyway, I don't know how to reconcile that, but I think information is good, but be open to what your provider's telling you to do in the moment. Maybe have a conversation if you can. I don't think medicine should be patriarchal at all, but in a bad situation, you know, 
Yeah, I think trust the person who knows the most about what's happening at the moment. I agree. I think for me, the big learning today was just about this free birthing community. <laughs> That's like, listen, here's the truth is when people learned in my community, in my friendship circle that I decided to have a home birth and I was going to midwives, they thought I was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs because I wasn't going with a medicalized hospitalized birth. Even people who are like very close to me during my entire birth and delivery, my best friend was on the phone with my with my mom and my best friend was in Hamilton and we're in Toronto, which is like an hour and a half away. And like literally saying, like my best friend was saying like, like to my mom, Carol, like texting her, if anything happens, there's a, St. Mike's Hospital's four minutes wait. When you sense anything, you take her right, like a complete distrust for the system and my, my, my choice and a complete um, lack of understanding of that this is a valid birthing option, right? So I think what I like about this conversation, Emily, is that we were able to dive a little bit deep into like, yeah. Valid, the the validness of other options. I think that people are generally feel very vulnerable and then they feel kind of bullied sometimes, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. uh, what we're saying is like, don't feel bullied, advocate for yourself, listen to your professional. When when the shit hits the fan, it motherfucking marconium is hitting the fucking fan. So listen to your goddamn doctor, but know those signs of like, this feels okay, you know? It's sort of like um, my body, my choice, right? Yeah. So like the hugging is okay and I'm okay with that, but like tonguing me, I'm not okay with, right? Yes. So at one point in your birth and delivery, are you like crossing your boundary of feeling... I guess bullied, like you're being, like you're vulnerable and you're turning to a P, like a MD and saying like, take care of me. I'm in your, I'm now in your care. So not only take decision. care of me, but like take, my unborn. That take care of everything. Take care yeah. of my, you know, body, mind and soul. So yeah. I think there, I think we're very, very far along in our medicalization of, you know, it's not Monty Python, right? It's not that opening scene where the woman is left on the ground and, you know, it's not really that. Um, at all anymore. But I think what's interesting about this conversation and this platform is that we're at least opening the, the first layer of the onion of having the conversation. And I, I think it's it's interesting because we don't have that many uncomfortable conversations on this podcast. They're usually pretty light and warm and fuzzy. And this, Emily, we sort of dug a little bit deep into stuff that maybe is a little bit, I want to say, um, moving the dial a bit or a little bit uncomfortable, which is okay. And I think it's interesting for us to sort of yeah, I think I think to be an advocate for yourself is a good thing. Yes, I think often times too empower your partner our, to be an advocate. I was that exact same thing. I think that our partners yeah. can be advocates, and we um, can in, um, encourage them to be that for us. And we can counsel them about that beforehand too. Like you know, look if like things are not going well, and you know that this is something I want. I welcome you to step forward and present yourself because I'm going to be in the most vulnerable position ever. You know, I'm, you know, in pain, I'm exhausted, my feet are in stirrups. Like, you know, nothing is more vulnerable than that. So please partner, you know, help me in this journey when things are really bad for me. And uh, I think, I think that's helpful too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Emily, if somebody wants to find you, it doesn't matter. You're sort of a global online yeah. company so how would somebody find you um probably easiest way is instagram mm -hmm. the B good birth co um facebook page or uh the good birth awesome. and yeah i was so glad to come and talk thanks to for you driving guys. two hours and a half hours i, I love your best. podcast like i literally was like oh my god i well, get to I come saw and talk I was, to like, I was gonna remind her like hey coming tonight and i thought instagram she was coming i was like Oh, I guess I don't have to send you a reminder. <laughs> no, usually, so. like, I need a million reminders, no, but I was super excited thanks to Thanks for coming. So. We don't want to keep you too late, so. <laughs> thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, everybody. My mom is calling. Hold on. Hi, Mom. You're on the podcast. Hi, baby. How are you? Good. You're on podcast. What do you want to say to our listeners? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Mommy, what's in it? What's can you can you do my jingle? Mom said, "Say fuck." Can you do it? Try. <laughs> okay, Ma, I'll call you back in two minutes. Bye. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We hope you really enjoy the content. We are eager to chat with the most interesting people about topics you care about. Please connect with us on social media at Moms That Say, at MomsTO, and at Dr. Dina Kulik and share your comments, requests, and to continue the conversation. If you want to hear more, click subscribe and rate us too. We're all about the feedback because this podcast is for you. Have a great rest of week. Until next time.